0: Israel, this land, has been under the control of a number of nations throughout history. It started with the Canaanite people. And the Canaanite people really weren't a nation. It was just a group of tribes that came from the Canaanite area. In fact, there were people that migrated as Abraham did. In fact, a lot of people don't realize that when Abraham migrated down to Israel, the area of Israel, he was part of a larger migration of people from that Babylonian area that actually migrated down to that area. And creating this land which would be filled with tribes known as the Canaanite people. Sometime around 800 to 900 BC, Israel was established really as the first nation in this land. Before that, they have really no history of a national identity in the land. And then in 587 BC, Babylon steps in from 538, the Persians and then the Hellenistics and the Greeks. Uh, Then in 63 BC, when Jesus was on the land, the Romans were there. It was in 313, the Byzantines, Arabs, Crusaders, Ottoman, Turks. And then in 1917, in World War I, the Brits took over the land of Israel. And then eventually in 1948, they gave the land to Israel. Now, it's interesting because you need to know history if you're going to understand Uh, what's taking place in the land right now. I've heard a lot of opinions of people who have done no research, but they love to shout their opinions from the mountaintops. When you do that, you look like a fool. It's very important that you understand that the first nation that ruled in this land was Israel, and that the Brits gave it to Israel. It wasn't It wasn't a a conspiracy against people groups. Does that make sense? Okay. So, the Byzantine Empire made a point to identify and preserve the Christian iconic sites that most tourists go to in Israel. So, if you go there and you see sites in Israel, it's because Constantine's wife, Helena... Who, who became a Christian, wanted to know where these things took place. She went down to Israel. She g- grabbed scholars in Israel, Jewish scholars in Israel. This is only a couple of hundred years later. And you say, well, that's a h- couple hundred years. That's a long time before. America has people that can take you to the exact places that battle took, battles took place in this nation a couple of hundred years ago. 200 years in the scope of history is not long at all. And Helena went down there and said, where did this take place? And then they went there and she built a Byzantine church. That's why today when you go to places in Israel and you see a Byzantine structure, they are certain that's where that took place because of the Byzantine structure that is there. Today, archaeology continues to prove the validity of the Bible. As they excavate sites, they're able to corroborate the existence of physiological, geological proof of the stories in the Bible, like the s- discovery of Sodom. Now, I know last week I was joking when I said they discovered where they crossed Red Sea. They found the... right, And, and I thought later that wasn't good because now you're going to wonder, am I joking or am I being serious? But it is true. They excavated a site where they believe... Sodom would have been. They also, through uh, archaeology, have discovered that the Hittite people that were believed to only be a biblical legend actually existed and were one of the ancient. Empires that ruled in the known world of that time. Today, the discoveries that are being made are affirming that the Bible is really more than a book, more than stories, more than urban legends. That That the Bible is a credible source when looking at history and especially archaeology. One of those places you go in Israel when you're there is Jericho Road. It's a description... Of, the, of This road is a familiar road The setting of the story that I'm going to tell you today Happened on Jericho's road Now my impression of this road was that it was a wooded road That had a creek running through it And the road kind of went along that there were lots of places to hide But really the landscape is actually very barren It's a windy road due to the tunnel-like design As it, it's, it travels through the canyons that are around it It has extreme temperatures depending on the year. In fact, the Jericho Road goes from a higher ground in Jerusalem to the lower ground in Jericho, Jerusalem being at 3,000 feet, Jericho almost 1,000 feet below sea level. It's a winding road, very rugged. It's 17 miles long, and it was a dangerous road, not just because of the geographical elements on this road, But because of the drifters and robbers that would frequent this road. In fact, Bedouins would often frequent this road. Still to this day, in fact, when we were in April, there's a Bedouin family that is along this road. And although not in every case were Bedouins a part of robbing people, uh, they were on occasion a part of that type of behavior. Now, it's been suggested that when David wrote in Psalms, uh, in in that famous Psalms, through the valley of the shadow of death, was referring to this road and, and some have suggested that this road was also called the bloodway because of the blood shed on it. It was an ancient highway This was not a remotely traveled road, but it was frequented by all kinds of travelers. The people traveling to be baptized by John the Baptist would have traveled this road. King David, leaving his palace to get away from Absalom, would have traveled this road. Kings and royalty, King Herod being one, would have traveled this road to his summer home in Jericho, and Jesus would have traveled this road on his last trip from Galilee to Jerusalem. This road, although it was dangerous if you were by yourself, many people, when traveling this road, would travel it in a group which provided the protection they needed to do it, but it was the quickest way to get into the valley. Now, there is a well-known story that involves this, this road, and Jesus told many stories. But there's likely no story that is better known and used to imply Uh, a truth than the story of the Good Samaritan. And although many uh, scholars have suggested this was a parable, there have been other scholars that have said, nowhere in this area, like in in this section of Scripture, does Luke refer to it as a parable. All the other parables he calls out as parables. But in this one, he says, Jesus tells a story. Even though it's likely it was probably a parable, it is also likely that it's a story that Jesus was just recalling, and it could have very well happened. The Good Samaritan. When someone says, you have been a Good Samaritan, there really is no question in what they mean, right? If I say to you, uh, you've been a good Samaritan, you know it's probably that you've done something good with no benefit to yourself, and you you made some sacrifices. In fact, if a newscaster says, you have been a good Samaritan, nobody's thinking, what does that mean? I wonder what they mean by that. What in the world does an ancient tribe of people have to do with helping anyone? You ever stop to consider that? Do you know at the time of Jesus there were about a million Samaritans today and we're using the good Samaritan as a as a as a description of how somebody behaves do you know there are there're just over 800 Samaritans in fact it's considered to be the smallest religious group in the world and yet everybody knows the Samaritan name because of this story And we know it because um, we've used it even in laws. Talk about uh, legislating behavior. Do you know that there are good Samaritan laws in almost every state in our nation? What it means is, is that you will be protected if you hurt someone when attempting to serve them. They can't hold you criminally liable, okay? So if you're out to dinner and someone's choking because they swallowed a big piece of filet mignon... And you go up behind them, and you give them your version of the Heimlich, and the meat comes out of their mouth, and you save their life. But in doing so, you crack a few of their ribs. They can't turn around and sue you for cracking their ribs. How many think that's a probably good idea? Right? Do you know that Minnesota has a version of the Good Samaritan Law? And you, I bet you didn't know this. But it requires you to lend aid to someone if they are in need. And if you don't, you will be held criminally li- liable. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, uh, yeah, if, they, if someone is dying and you don't help them and they find out, you can go to jail. That's legislating behavior. Right, So, although it may be one, if not the most commonly known story that Jesus tells, it's likely the most misunderstood story that Jesus tells. And is the main point really about helping people? Is that really what this is about? Well, let's take a look. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Notice what he did. He tested Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do To inherit eternal life. What is written in the law? He replied. Jesus replied. How do you read it? Love the... And this is what the, the... We'll call him a lawyer. Says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your soul. With all your strength. And with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly. Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus... And who is my neighbor? And replied, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too the Levite. And he, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, which would have been two days' uh, pay, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for an e- any extra expense you may have. Which of these three, so Jesus then asked this question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? And look at what the expert, the lawyer, says in reply. He says, the one who had mercy on him. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say the Samaritan. Just want you to notice that. Jesus told them, go and do likewise. So, I want, I want to take a look. What, what was the main point of this? I know when we talk about the Good Samaritan, in fact, when I brought up the Good Samaritan, most of you thought, oh, this is going to be a sermon about how I need to do random acts of kindness. And it's not. Because that's not actually what it was about. That's not actually the main point. The main point was, What must I do to to inherit eternal life? And isn't it interesting he uses the word to inherit? Inheritance is something that's given to you by your parents or, or something that's given to you by someone who has some connection to you. And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And that it's the right question, but he fails to understand how right the question is. The context of this question is about eternal life. The lawyer is asking a question about how do you attain it? How do you get eternal life? How do you get that to come to you? And, and it was a common question. In fact, I've heard people actually say that this man was testing Jesus Or trying to trap Jesus. But do you know in the scripture, it's funny how we add things in to add a narrative. We need to read the word as it is. Right? I don't believe this man was trying to trap Jesus. And I'll tell you why. Because it was a commonly asked question among rabbis. It's a pretty important question. Wouldn't you think? Everyone's going to die. And what happens after that? What takes place? after we die. And they would say, what is your interpretation? How do you, like, what takes place after, like, what is your view of eternal life? Tell it. Let's talk about it. The Sadducees said there weren't, there was no such thing as eternal life. The Pharisees said there was a resurrection and there was life after. And he, he's just asking, now, tell me how. And and we know that because when Nicodemus comes to Jesus in John chapter 3, he asks the same question. What is, but they don't say he's trying to trap Jesus. He was asking the question he was testing Jesus and I have no problem with people testing Jesus at the time he was just a rabbi how many are glad Jesus was tested and proved true right they tested him and he responded with words that had authority it's a common question you know this may shock you but death is going to happen I I would actually say death is 100% like you're going to die. Will you just turn to the person next to you and say, God bless you, you're going to die? (laughs) The only problem is, I can't say it's 100% likely because there's a couple of people in the Bible who actually went up, one just disappeared. There's no escaping death. It's almost, it's almost a perfect count. And since, since no one is perfect, you, you got to ask yourself, how do I, what happens? What takes place? And so there's this fear of death. Why is there such an incredible fear of death? Is it because... We don't know what comes after death, but it's not so much. See, I can understand why there would be a fear of death for those who have no understanding of what comes after death. But where does this fear of death come from to those who have been saved by Jesus Christ? Fear is a spirit, and the spirit doesn't come from God. The fear of death is something that Satan uses to paralyze believers from being believers trying to rob us of our faith and the the work that God's calling us to. You know, the question is, is there something beyond this place? Is there a place beyond this place? And what is it like? Am I good enough or have I done enough to make it to this good place or am I going to the bad place? Or we try to ignore it until the next funeral or the next time we hear that someone we knew passed away. The reality is until we rectify our fear of death, you'll never be ready to live. Because the fear of death paralyzes us. You can be certain there is an eternal destination. See, here's here's the thing. There are way too many Christians living for this world. We're living for a world that is passing away. And we're going to live in eternity a long time. Right? That's why when you read in the Old Testament in Ecclesiastes, it says, live beyond the sun. Live beyond this place. Live for things that last beyond this place. And what are those things? People. You live for people. You don't use people for things. We don't use our relationship to get position and possessions and power. We use position, possession, and power for people. People. Pretty impressive, all P words. (laughs) Oh, I'm just playing with you. We can be certain of our eternal destination. Look at this. John 14, 1 through 4 says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many mansions, many, many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Don't you love that part of the verse? Would I have told you I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that, all, that you also may be where I am. Which is exactly when I say. When you come to that point of death, you don't need to fear the, the event of death. Because Jesus is coming to you. You say, no, that's that's not what he said. It's not the rapture when all of that. He's coming to you. At that that moment, it's time to... You will not transfer into eternity alone. He's coming for you. He ain't going to send an angel to get you. You're his bride. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Heaven exists. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, if you got a question, you say, well, how do I know I'm going to go there? In Romans, it says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess and your faith are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, the reality is you'll never be good enough to make heaven your home. You need a Savior. That's Jesus Christ. Now, there is a prevailing belief that I, that is just, it's it's in our culture. And it's this belief that you deserve good. And you don't. There's this, this, this belief that says you deserve heaven. The only way you can ask, ask the question, when someone asks the question and they say, if, if uh, God's a good God, why would he send a person to hell? The only way you can make that, ask that question is to assume that we're good. Here's, here is, it's, it's so simple, such a simple answer. First of all, when you were born, you were born on the road to hell. You didn't deserve good. You deserved, because nobody in this room is perfect. Nobody in this room is perfect. We are all sinners. It's amazing how we can sit here and all agree that we're sinners, right? Jesus said, he who has no sin, throw the first stone. You know what they did? They dropped it. Because there wasn't anyone in that circle of religious leaders that could say, they had the ability to say, I'm, I'm good enough to throw this stone. But somehow in our mind, we think we deserve heaven, and we deserve good, and we deserve, and we see it in our culture. Everybody deserves a home. Everybody deserves health care. Everybody deserves, everybody should deserve, everybody deserves, everybody deserves. Everybody should be given because they deserve. It is a cultural mindset that we deserve it. And if I don't, get, it doesn't matter whether I've done right or not. I deserve it. How many, are, how, many, how many are sitting there going, yeah, I can see that. But the reality is we didn't deserve heaven. We all deserved hell. When they came to Jesus, said, Good teacher, he said, Why did you call me good? What he was identifying is you have a mindset that is already broken. You think they're good teachers. You think they're good people. There are no good people. That's exactly what Jesus said. There are no good people. You all deserve hell. If you think you're a good person and somehow we're going to the, get to the point of death and we're going to get into heaven because of our goodness, we're going to find ourselves wanting. Don't, don't give in to the lie. The reality is, there were no good people. And the reason God's a good God and a loving God is he's given us an opportunity to get off of what we did. He gave us something different than what we deserved. He gave us something we didn't deserve. Gave us life. So God, so why would he send him to hell? He doesn't, you don't need to go to hell. Just believe in Jesus. Here's the second question. How do you read it? Jesus then turns to him. He says, the man comes to him and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And and Jesus says, well, how do you read it? And this man being a lawyer, and this is why I'm telling you, I don't think he was trapping Jesus. He was asking him, how do you interpret it? And Jesus says, well, first you tell me how you interpret it. And, he, and this man gives Jesus a very common answer. Jesus knew this man was going to give this answer because this is the answer they gave. Rabbis gave when asking, how do you get eternal life? And he asked, and he says, how do you read it? And Jesus was really, and what Jesus was trying to discover is, how is this lawyer going to interpret this? We all have information, We don't need more information. We actually need help with better interpretation. The real question is, how is God interpreting it? Are we interpreting it God's way? What is he saying? You know, have you noticed the shift in thinking in our our culture? In the modern era, they cared about facts. In the postmodern era, they care more about emotions. In the modern era, we want an explanation. In the postmodern era, we want an experience. In the modern era, it's about credibility. In the postmodern era, it's about desirability. We, we literally are looking at the same thing, and we're looking at, different, at it differently. We're interpreting it differently. And the question is, is this is how I look at it? We really need to ask God to give us a revelation of how to look at it. How should I look at it? And this man of the law, this lawyer of sorts, most certainly could have been trying to trap Jesus, but I don't think that's his intention. I think it, that he was trying to discover what Jesus was going to say about E- eternal life and so this man says love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself and you know what's interesting about this? this is why i don't think he was trying to trap jesus because he's quoting two different verses see most rabbi- rabbis at the time would have just quoted the verse in deuteronomy which was love the lord your god it wasn't until Jesus stepped on the scene that he brought in the second part. Jesus actually said to a person prior to this, you also need to love your neighbor as yourself. And this man quotes what Jesus he puts together what Jesus had said previously. It's pretty amazing because the love your neighbor as yourself was something they didn't think was any had anything to do with eternal life. But Jesus made it about it. What's interesting as we look at the entire law, all of the law is summed up in those two commandments. So Jesus says, he says to them, you have answered correctly. What? Hold on, Jesus. Jesus must have had a moment of insanity. Like, Jesus, whatever happened to the four spiritual laws? Like, there is no way any man can do it. Like, you can't obey the law and get there. But what Jesus was doing is you're approaching eternal life through the law. And if you're going to get to eternal life through the law, you have to do these two commands, which encompasses the entire law. So he says you're correct. He commands you got to love God and you got to love people. Love. Isn't love an interesting thing? What really in the world is love? Uh, J- Justin, who is 11 years old, said Love is when you kiss a girl for the first time, then you know that you'll never be bored again because you can always just think about kissing her. <laughs> That's my life. <laughs> the warm, Vince, who's seven, says, The warm feeling when someone hugs you. May, who is 9, says, No one is sure why it happens, but I heard it has something to do with how you smell. That's why perfume and de- deodorant are so popular. <laughs> Ava, who is 8, said, One of you should know how to write a check because even if you have tons of love, there are always going to be a lot of bills. <laughs> Mark, who is six, six, said, Love is when mommy sees daddy on the toilet and she doesn't think it's gross. And Elena, who's five, said, love is when mommy gives daddy the best piece of chicken. Yeah. Here, What's interesting about love is, and, and we used to talk about back in the 80s and 90s, this was a common thing that came up all the time. And I don't know that I've heard anything on this for a long time. And some of you have been saved since then, and maybe you didn't know this. But do you know the Bible? This may shock you. And I, I, some of you may be tempted to get up and leave. Please don't. Just wait till the end of the message. The Bible was not originally written in English. So I know that may shock you, but the King James Version is just a version of the original text. It wasn't even, it was written from Latin. The, the, the Bible is actually written in Hebrew in the Old Testament, Greek and Aramaic and the New. Wow. Now I know that some of you may want to step out, but please stick around. You know what the problem is? Is the problem is, in the Bible, when it talks about love, there are different words to describe what we put all in one word. So what we do when we think love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, we get super feeling like on things that I need to be, And we don't understand that when it was written in Greek, if you read it in, in Greek, it's actually being translated Agape. Now, maybe you've never heard that word. There's two different words. There's, a, there's four or five different love words in Greek that refer to this emotional type of thing called love, but phileo is a word that is an emotional love driven by attraction, the form of love that is often consistent with infatuation. But agape is, is recorded even in Greek literature. It throws a little light on it. It says it's love... Of choice, the love of serving with humility, the highest kind of love, the noblest kind of devotion, the love of will, which is intentional and a conscious choice. It's not driven by emotion. You make a determination that no matter how you behave, I'm going to love you. No amens there not motivated by superficial appearance, emotional attraction or sentimental relationship, agape is based on a pleasant uh, is not based on pleasant emotions or good feelings that might result from a physical attraction or family bond. Agape chooses an act of self-sacrifice to serve the recipient. From all the descriptions of agape love, it is clear that true agape love is a sure mark of salvation. This is from a Greek scholar. So so Think of it, like when we read it, we read love, we often read phileal love in the text. But that's not what this man was saying when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. He was saying agape. No matter what happens in my life, I'm not going after God. This is incredible thought here. Because there, at the end of this message, I believe there are, there are experiences in your life that are preventing you from loving God the way you can love God. Disappointments that have worked against that love for him. You love Him, but it's hindered it. And God wants to, God wants to heal those places, right? You, and you're like, you feel, some of you feel discouraged because you don't have the phileal love for God. You're like, you're trying to love God the way you love him. and And the Bible's like, he's wanting you to agape God. And agape. Yes. That's that's love music. Love music that's coming on. Right? So 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 when we say love, it's intentional. We agape our enemies. This is interesting. Look at this next question. He says, the man says, seeking to justify himself, he asks the next question. Who is my neighbor? Why, and this is an important part of this verse. The reason he says seeking to justify himself is because he didn't think he had a problem with this relationship. He never brought up his relationship with God as an issue. He brought up this relationship was the problem. Because there's some people I just don't like very much. So tell me who my neighbor is. I, I got this one's fine. It's all taken, Jesus is all good. Right? And if I were to go around in this room and I'd say, how's your relationship? Most people say, Well, that's good. I love God. I love it's the kind of people I'm having a problem with. Right? It's people I'm struggling with. It's people that are a little bit of the problem. No, if we could love perfectly, we would be perfect. Since we can't, we aren't, and therefore we need a savior for eternal life. What he's saying to him is, okay, that's right. What Jesus is saying is, if you can love me and you can love others, agape love others, and agape love God, then you're going to eternal life. But since you can't, you need a Savior. And this man says, no, I got the love for God. I love God. I love God. People say, I know I'm going to heaven. Why? Because I love God. Well, my next question is, how do you love people? How are you loving people? John 4, look at this. Dear friends. Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that he might live through him to people who didn't deserve it. John 4, 19 goes on. He says, we love because he first loved us. How do you love? Because he first loved you. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love his brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. It's a question that literally provokes This response in this man, he says, who is my neighbor? What he's saying is, there are some people I don't like. And Jesus is like, well, let me tell you a story. Now, I'm going to do this. Uh, normally, I give you the question I want you to pursue at the end of the message. I'm going to give it right now, and I'm going to do it differently than normally I do. Normally, I give you a verse, and then you have to wrestle with the verse to figure it out. I'm, asking, I'm actually going to ask you a question, and you'll have to read the context, which means beyond the chapters, this story is in to understand this question. Here it is. Here it is. You can pull your phones out, take a picture of it. It's on the slide behind me. What might have been an alternative reason for why Jesus uses a Samaritan man as the hero in the story? Was there another audience he was speaking to as well? Not you. You say, yeah, us. That's why we're here today. No, 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 no. There was someone else Jesus was telling. He used a Samaritan in the story, not just for that man. Who is the other audience that he was speaking to when he told this? So, the the Good Samaritan implication, here's where it comes from. It's not enough to just see the need, you must respond. Agape love isn't just seeing the need. Agape love responds to the need, whether or not you feel emotionally tied to it or not. It's responding to it. Luke 10, 31 and 32 says, A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place, saw the man, and passed on the other side. What would have been the reasons why these religious people, who were the ones that were to be God's mouthpiece to their tribe of Israel, to the nation of Israel, why would they see a man and then walk right by him, not do something? There had to be a reason. Maybe they were prevented by their religion. Maybe maybe they were just up in Jerusalem and they had been purified and maybe there were priests from Jericho and they had went up, got purified, and they were on their way back to their synagogue and, and if they had touched the man who was on the side, they would have become, because he was either dying or dead or bleeding at the very least, they would have had to go back to Jerusalem to be cleansed and, and there were people waiting for them in, in Jericho or maybe they were from Jerusalem and going to Jericho and people were waiting and, and they can't touch them because they're unclean and so so someone else is good God you're gonna have to send someone else to do it because I my I am not I'm not touching that filthiness I'm not going to those places I'm staying with my people I'm staying clean my religion prevents me from helping that person isn't that religion does religion is demonic all of it and Christianity can be some of the most demonic religion people run in or could it be they were confined to their calendar I got responsibilities I got things I got to get done I got to get back to Jericho there are people waiting for me I got hundreds of people waiting for me I don't have time to stop for one man when I can be ministering to hundreds I can be helping all of these people I got a family I got a schedule I got a calendar I got to keep it we become so task driven We miss what matters to God. Or maybe, and this is a very common belief system even in the church today, maybe it's just ungodly beliefs. Maybe it's what goes around, comes around. He's just getting what he deserved. Who am I to mess with someone else's karma? I don't believe in karma, pastor, but have you ever said, well, you get what's coming to you? That's what karma is. Karma says, this man might have done something, and right now he's being punished, and who am I to step in and try to help someone that God's trying to take? So I'm going to let God do to him what he needs. It's just the thinking he's getting what he deserves, and I'm going to leave him alone and let that happen, and whatever happens, happens. Here's the second thing. What what you do depends on what you see. What you do depends on what you see. Jesus often ends a parable with, he who has eyes, let them see, and he who has ears, let them hear. You ever met people that have incredible experiences and you're like, I don't know why I never get to experience those incredible experiences. You hear people do miracles and they get blessed and and they do incredible things and they come and they testify and you're like, that's amazing. Why don't I ever get to do it? can Can I give you something that's very commonly known? Every one of those opportunities are probably right in front of you every single week. But if you don't have eyes to see them because you don't have a will to respond, you miss them. But there are people hurting, beat up, kicked, and trashed that we literally walk by every single week. And in some cases, while they're laying on the ground because they're going through a divorce and they're losing everything, and then we come in and they're having a bad day, we come in and we go, (laughs) we kick them and we move on. And we say, praise the Lord. God, why am I never seeing the experience? What you do depends on what you see. You have to see people. What if God is trying to do things in your life, but your eyes are not seeing what God wants to see because you're so focused on what you wanna do? Here's the last one. What you see will be determined by who you are. What you see will be determined by who you are. Jesus introduces this third person, this this, this Samaritan to the story. Do you know why he used the Samaritan? one, Jews hated Samaritans. You know why? It wasn't that they just believed that, that they would worship on, on Mount Shechem. It was because when the Assyrians came in, they took a number of Jews, took them there and brought Assyrians and planted them in that area of Israel. And the Assyrians intermarried with some Jews. And the children of those intermarriages were called Samaritans. It was a derogatory term. What they were saying is, you're a half-breed. And they hated them. They treated them like dogs. So when this man says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, the good guy in this story is a Samaritan. He wasn't talking about random acts of of kindness. What he was talking about, if you want eternal life, you're going to have to love the very thing you think is a dog. You're going to have to love your enemy. What? Now, there is nothing in any of us that is capable of loving our enemies. Jesus says himself, it's easy to love your friends. Anybody can love their family friends, right? But it's, it's the people that you despise. To love people who are actively coming after you requires an act of God in your life. Look at, look at this. There's a scripture in Matthew 12. It says, make a tree good and its fruit will be Make a tree bad and its fruit will be. A tree is recognized by its. <laughs> like literally, you could tell people you're a believer all you want. But when they eat the fruit on your tree, what are they going to taste? How do I like? Okay, so, so what am I saying? If the root of my life is God, that root is Love the thing that identifies me as a believer is the love I show people. And what amazes people who know me is when I'm able to agape love people that don't deserve it. When I'm able to intentionally, not emotionally love them, it doesn't, it's not driven by emotion. It's not driven by affection infatuation. It's because g- God is in me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to intentionally, consciously do loving acts to someone who's intentionally trying to harm me. Why? And you say, well, i just not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. That's exactly what the man said, who's my neighbor. He says, I can't, see, here's his problem. The man says, Jesus, I got no problem here. My problem's right here. And this is what Jesus said. Because you have a problem here, it's tied to your problem here. But the fact that you don't think this is a problem, you'll never be able to deal with this problem. Because you don't deal with this problem by trying harder. you got to go to the source, the root, which is right here. Because you didn't know what it was to love until God showed you love. God showed loved you first, you realized what love was. He's the root in you. See, this is, you know what the problem is? You can't do this on your own. You need a savior. And what Satan is trying to do is attack the relationship right here because it prevents this. But I don't think I got a problem with this. Well look at this. You got a problem there. Yeah. Then there's a problem somewhere right here. And how do you fix it? You go to him and say, "God." And I'm telling you, there are people in this room. You're like, "I love God." But your your worship for him is 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 like like muted. Like, your attention is muted, and you're like, I know something's not right, but I love God. But something's not right. And it's probably tied to disappointment, where you thought God should have showed up, but he didn't. Like, God should have done something, but it didn't happen. And so I'm a little resistant, I'm a little reluctant, I'm a little upset with God right now. I love them, but I'm a little, and Satan is trying to work. Do you know when Paul and Silas got beat and thrashed for doing good? They get put in a prison cell. Do you know the first thing they did? They worshiped God. Because they knew if they didn't start worshiping him right from the beginning, the enemy would have a a foothold to try to mute it. And they'd start cursing God. Will you stand? Pastor Anthony. At a young age, in my 20s, there are two businessmen that were in our church. And they had a falling out. And they were both, one was a pastor at one point. The other guy was just a German sharp, just very sharp. And I'm this 20-something-year-old. And we're talking, and I'm, I have no idea what I'm doing. And the guy is talking about how much he just, Didn't like this other this former pastor guy, and he said, and I said, "How's your relationship with the Lord?" And he said, "Never been better." And I looked; twenty-something-year-old man looks at a sixty-five-year-old man, and I go, "You're a liar." I didn't even know why he said that. Really, it just came out of my mouth, and he get that German look right at me. I'm German, by the way. He looked at me with eyes, and I said, "Don't even start." don't you dare tell me your relationship with Christ is great when you can't love your enemy and there was nothing he could say became a very close friend by the way we love to affirm people's brokenness rather than to declare their victory there's something better than this there's something better than this it's better to love your enemy to live bound into this thing where we got something against God God loves you God has never let you down he's not holding back on you and if there's something going on right here notice notice the signs notice the light that's saying something's not working say God reveal it to me so we can take care of this because I need to make sure this is working so this can work You ready to do that? Will you close your eyes right now and just say, God, I'm here and I'm open and I'm ready for you to speak because only God and you can handle this together. Only the two of you can handle this together. Just take a moment right now and do that in your heart.